Welcome to the Raw Food Health Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Salmon, Certified Holistic Health Coach and author of You Can Afford to Be Healthy. And this podcast looks at a holistic approach to health from a multi-generational and multinational perspective of women of color. Today we're talking about addiction. There's a doctor who wrote a book called The Pleasure Trap, and his name is Dr. Alan Goldhammer. Have you heard of him? No. So he he basically says that salt, oil, and sugar leads to overeating because of dopamine production that basically leads to food addiction or dopamine addiction, right? We get that, that dopamine drip, which is the feel-good hormone. We get excited by these by salt, oil, and sugar, and so we just need more of it, more of it, more of it, and it's hard to stop it, just like you wouldn't get um, addicted to broccoli, you know, but you get addicted to chips because there's oil in there and salt. Um, oh, well, well, I might, I don't know, I have a different addiction. I'm addicted, addicted to greens. You're addicted to greens. Well, that's good. Most people aren't. And I think your addiction to greens has to do with the flavoring because you're seasoning it. It's an addiction to the seasoning. And so, so, but from his perspective, that's why I take, I take the different angle because it's like, yeah, okay, you're addicted to salt, oil, and sugar, but um, you can have like, for all the foods that you get that from, you can have healthier alternatives, which is what I have done where you know, the same seasonings that someone will use on their chicken, I'll use it on everything else, you know? So it tastes good to me. And, you know, I crave those foods. I like those foods. But I like I, I know from my personal experience, like my food compared to the food I have out doesn't really have addictive qualities because I don't cook with oil. And I don't really cook with sugar. I mean, I use coconut nectar sometimes, but I'm not really using sugar. Um, and then salt. I use very minimal salt, but the coconut aminos, yes. That is like one of those things where it's like, okay, if my meal doesn't have any salt, I feel it. I feel it. I don't feel as... Um, satisfied, right? It's not as satisfying. So Dr. Goldhammer, he says salt stimulates passive overeating. And I know that to be true from, from like the seaweed snacks. And people can attest to this even with chips. Like when it has salt on it, even with the nuts, right? Which are all healthy foods, right? The nuts, are healthy, but when they're salted, you just eat, 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 which for me, when I was having that experience, I just said, okay, I can't snack on nuts because I can't stop myself. But when you buy raw nuts that doesn't have salt, you don't really have that because you're not, you don't really want more than a handful of that, you know? <laughs> I, well, I don't know. For me, that's not true. You're, you're nuts. Well, for you're in a different boat because Dr. Goldhammer says it takes about a month to adopt a low salt diet and 90 days to adopt a lower fat diet, right? Um, he goes on to talk about like in all of his work, especially in the pleasure trap, that there comes a period where 
you you don't have the you don't have these addictions anymore where you have to have it. And I think for you because you've been for so many years cuz growing up I know you were anti salt. Mm-hmm. You know, and we didn't eat out. That was like a one time a year you would get a a a, a bucket of chicken from KFC or something. And I don't know what why did you even do that? Like I don't know what what was the it tastes good. Oh, okay. So you just allowed yourself to do it once a year? Because mm-hmm. was, I, I was really confused. By it. But I, when I bring it home, I have to put it back in the oven. Because mm-hmm. I remember you used to take the skin off and oh, show yeah. me all the oil underneath and wipe it. And I mean, it's like, I'm like, why? So why do you even do this? <laughs> you don't seem to like it. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, wow, this is gross. I really don't want to look at this. <laughs> Can we just what? enjoy our chicken and peas? Like, <laughs> I, I never liked chicken skin, though. Yeah, you made that very clear. <laughs> you almost, I don't know if you said this or it looked like you were about to do it, but like you would peel the skin off and like want to oh. wash it. <laughs> I always do. <laughs> and then put it back in the oven. Um, but yeah, because you haven't been doing the salt thing, because you don't really use salt. The only way salt will creep into your diet is via bread. Yeah, my bread. And two, you don't eat chicken. And chicken has a lot of salt because they well, put they, a lot of salt in there for it to, to weigh it more. And it tastes salt. Well, they from what I from what I've read, um, my studies it says that uh, they they add the salt to make it fatter because when they sell it, they sell it by weight. Oh, really? Yeah, with the salt, it absorbs water. Oh, the, so it ends you, up weighing more. Are you talking the fresh chicken? Um, the chicken they sell. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like the fresh the fresh chicken. No, the fresh chicken don't have any salt. They have nothing in it. It's not, it's not on it. It's injected into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not seasoned on top. It's injected inside. So it, it, it weighs more, even though it's really just water weight. It's not like more chicken flesh. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so it takes a month to adapt to a low salt diet. So you have to be in the frame of mind to be, to just eliminate it completely, especially if you have high blood pressure. Right. This is but, where this... You know, correction, Sam, I don't want nobody to think I don't use salt. Yes, I do, occasionally, on certain things. If I'm going to have cucumber, I season it, and I put um, pink Himalayan salt. Himalayan. Himalayan salt. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's the salt I keep here. That's the salt I use. The other salt, I use sea salt. Um the kosher sea salt and vinegar, I use it to wash my vegetables when I bring them from the store. Kosher sea salt, vinegar, and lemon. That's what I put in my, my water and wash my vegetables. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the Himalayan salt, like how much do you use and how frequently? Not often. Just only, only if I'm doing cucumber or if I'm making soup. Um... If I'm making split peas or lentil, I put a little in there just to flavor it, but not so that you can taste it. Right. Because when I offer people um, soup, they always put salt in there, which, you know, 
but I don't cook it with it. I cook it so if somebody have to put it in, they can put it in, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've but heard I'm, I've heard Dr. Greger say the same, like that's better if you're gonna use it to do it there because when you end up putting it in the big pot when you're making the thing, you end up using too much exact. Um, too much salt. So it's best even for yourself if you're making a pot of soup, don't put the amount of salt the soup need. Just put in some to flavor it. Mm-hmm. And then when you put your soup in your bowl, if it's not to your taste, but I'm not too much a salt person. I'm not a sugar person. Yeah. I don't Cra- buy You don't what? I don't use sugar in the house. Cravings, like all addictions, diminish over time. And fasting helps a lot. So when I was trying to break my addiction to bread um, and grains, um, particularly bread, um, it was, I forget the book that I read, uh, I think it was Perlmutter. He wrote a book called Grain Brain. And he was saying if you fast for 24 hours, then the craving for it will go away. But you can't even taste it ever again or else it will come right back. Oh, really? Which, I've, which I can attest to. <laughs> All of that work, the fasting work to, to eliminate the craving, but even having it again in my mouth, you know, makes you want it again. Because the, first of all, I, I can taste in bread sweetness. I can t- there's salt in there. So you have the sweet, you have the salt, <laughs> you know. Um, so, you know, and then just grains already have an addictive quality to it just by the the chemical structure of, of gluten itself. Um, so it has its addictive qualities. But primarily what I wanted to focus on today is just the salt, oil, and sugar. Because there's some people, like if you are on a vegan diet, a whole foods vegan diet, and you've had problems eliminating weight, right? It could be these three things right. that are showing up. Um, If you have hypertension, this is also something to look at, salt, oil, sugar. And I've talked on the the podcast before about trying an SOS-free diet. They have SOS-free cookbooks to try. And um, usually, too, if you're doing 100% raw, um, it should be pretty easy to eliminate these things because you don't really have – I mean – some some things will have coconut oil. You just don't do those things because those are usually like the desserts and stuff like you know, that. The fun person of coconut oil. Um, I like to use the coconut, the fresh coconut milk to do things, but the mm-hmm. coconut oil, I have issues with it. Acid reflux? No, it gives me heartburn. Yeah, same. Uh, so I don't, I don't mess with it. Yeah. And it's funny because some people who have coconut oil, they don't have those issues. They're like, oh, how are you going to have heartburn? But yeah, this, it can give you heartburn. (laughs) Coconut oil is not um, exclusive in this, but that's just one of the things where if you're like a healthy eater and you're still having issues, yeah, look at the oil. But I use the coconut, I mean, the coconut milk because I do the coconut from scratch and I don't have a problem with it. But whenever I use the oil, forget it. It doesn't mm. matter if it's organic. Don't matter. Yeah. 
And you need a supportive environment to increase your chances of success because when it comes to food addiction, it's like any other addiction, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, People who have a cigarette addiction, you know, they do a 12-step or an alcohol addiction, they do a 12-step program. It's the same thing when it comes to food. You need to, um, one, have support, right? That's crucial. And two, set up your environment for success. Um, there's a lot of uh, studies, research that's out there right now really showing that the environment has a lot to do with the obesity um, situation that we're in right now, right? The environment more so than anything else, <laughs> you know, because um, we are a product of our environment. So fasting helps, but not everybody's going to um, do 24 hours of, you know, not having anything. Yeah. For some people that can be difficult. Although it is worth a try. I thought I wouldn't be able to do it and I was able to do it. And it was pretty interesting. You, even with fasting, you can end up in a bliss state, which is really cool. (laughs) How long did you fast for? Like, 20, it wasn't, I can't say it was exactly 24 hours because I had dinner, which I usually have before seven. And then I didn't, I just drank water the entire day. And then um, I had breakfast the following morning. So it was more than 24 hours. Cause I, and, and there are different ways you could do it too. Cause some people like with the intermittent fasters that do that talk about the 24 hour fasting window, they, they are referring to dinner to dinner where you finish your dinner by seven and then your next dinner is the next day seven, you know, so that, but I, I don't even, cause I'm like, you sleep in, that doesn't count, you know, and then you're pretty much, you're pretty much good because even like when you go beyond three days of water fasting, that's when you really start to um, burn the fat. But that's a little bit more difficult, like just getting through a day with on just water. And I when I fast coconut water, I've done, which was way easier (laughs) because coconut water is really good, like fresh coconut water. But then also um, the the last time um, or the the time I did it for the bread situation and what I've done um, ever since, because it's just easier Um, and more enjoyable is do fruit infused and the fruit I use is lime or lemon in water. So I get some flavor and I can switch it up. I could do the pear water or the lime and lemon water. So it doesn't feel like I'm just like, you know, lacking everything, you know, sometimes you just want some flavor in your mouth, you know? (laughs) Um, but, um, but it worked, it worked. But then there's, like I said, there's also intermittent fasting, which helps with weight loss and it has other benefits as well. So intermittent fasting will just be like um, a 16-8 would, is the best one to shoot for. Definitely everyone should be doing the 12-12 where you feast for 12 hours, fast for 12 hours, right? But um, doing a 16-hour fast, eight-hour feast window is better because you want to eliminate and clear out your digestive system. The body shouldn't be working on digesting food all the time. You know, one of the um, research studies I heard um, 
this new, I, I think he's a neuroscientist or something like that. He was speaking on the fact that um, over the past few decades, our obesity can be attributed to more calories being consumed. But where are those calories coming from? It's because it's not because we're eating more calories at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We're eating more calories for, during snacking time. We're snacking more, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, those snacks are very calorie rich and fiber deficient. So we're not even getting full off of these things, right? Right, But we're just getting this, these excess, excess calories. But because we're snacking all the time and then we're eating the, these three meals, the body is just working on digesting, 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 as opposed to healing and repairing and regenerating. And we need to clear the system out, <laughs> clear it out, give it time to breathe, and then introduce new food. And so that's what I really like about the intermittent fasting. But on top of that, the the intermittent fasting or just, you know, this full, at least 24-hour fast to get off of the addiction of sugar, oil, and salt can be beneficial. And you can lose weight doing this thing, but also what's more important is to maintain the weight loss after. Because right. some people have done the um, fasting thing and have lost weight. Obese folks have lost weight, but then they put everything back on. Why? Because they don't have the support. They don't have the resources on what to eat. They're not eating cleaner. They basically just eliminated food consumption, went back to the way that they ate before, and so ended up even gaining more weight than they had before. Isn't that a wear and tear on the body, though? Like when people fluctuate like that, isn't you, aren't you putting your body through too much, doing things like that? If they keep doing it, if they keep fasting, losing the weight, going mm -hmm. back to eating what they're doing, gaining the weight, then fasting again, then you're on this cycle of yo-yo dieting or whatever. According to the research, um, and I feel like it was Dr. Greger who brought this up, and he put it on a, on a chart that basically showed if these, for this particular study where they had these obese people doing the alternate day fasting, I think was this particular study, if they hadn't done that and they had just kept doing their thing, they actually would have been fatter than the weight that they gained back after they gained the weight. So there was some benefit there, but because they were already on a trajectory going up on gaining weight, right? But for you guys listening, you know, if you want to lose the weight and maintain that weight loss, um, definitely sign up for a call with me. The link is in the show notes to this um, episode. So we can talk about what the plan should be to get the weight off and to maintain the weight loss in a healthy manner, healthy right. manner. And I say that because keto is so popular and prevalent right now. And it's so dangerous. It is so dangerous because I heard this type one diabetic and when he was telling his story, I was just so scared. He's like, he's a health coach and he's a type one diabetic and he managed to, so, you know, type one diabetes, they have to take insulin right. uh, via injection, right? Uh, because their pancreas just doesn't make it at all. Um, 
or they don't have a pancreas, you know, there's, but for whatever reason, they, they don't have insulin at all. So they have to take the injection. And this guy on a whole foods vegan diet managed to get down to the least amount of insulin ever. Right. But then his followers kept asking him about keto. Have you heard about keto? What are your thoughts on keto? Right. Went on it. So he experimented with it. And I'm like, dude, but you're type one. You know, I was so scared. And then he said, he, two months, like, so he, he lost more weight. His insulin sensitivity got even better. So he had even better results than on the vegan diet. But two months after he started, he got his insulin, his sugar levels went, were worse than ever before ever. Poor guy. Yes. So it's like if the short term, everything looks better, but long term, it's worse, you know? <laughs> and, and then besides that, so anyway, he managed to repair the damage going back on a whole foods vegan diet, thank God, because I find that if you're in a very severe situation like that, experimenting with your body really can be very dangerous. This is why I say some is not one size fit all. Yeah, well, keto is not. A keto is not for you. Um, <clears throat> diet, I don't like. It's, it's too high in protein to begin with. I don't like your, and it's animal protein, the keto diet. I don't know if they have one that is plant-based. I've never seen one. There's, yeah, we talked on the podcast last year about vegan keto. Vegan keto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah, we talked a lot about it last year. But really, their thing is fat-focused. It's very similar to Atkins diet. And you know, Atkin died of a heart attack. He had heart failure. The man who came out with Atkins diet? Yes. Atkins. <laughs> yes. And there were people arguing with him about his diet protocol. And the same thing is happening now with keto. Be careful with the keto because really it's high fat. That's what the That's diet is about. I was interested and I knew about it for years. I've never, there's nothing in there that would draw. First of all, it's it just, to me, it's just so much easier with just a plant-based because plant-based something is, is like, even people listening right now, if they're from the West Indies, they know exactly what we're talking about. And that's how we grew up. We never put a name to it. But we were just eating plant-based food. Everything from the ground or on the tree. Yeah. Right. But um, I don't know. Well, the oil that we used to use is coconut oil, and it never bothered me then. But we, we cook our own oil from scratch. Mm-hmm. But the oil that we get over here in the bottle that they call coconut oil, it burn. It, when I use it, I feel like I swallow acid. I don't know why. I don't know if anybody else has that problem. If they do. I've had that problem. Yeah. I'm talking yeah. like people in the group right now listening. I don't know if they ever had that problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so if you're looking for support on this journey, definitely hit me up. The link is in the show notes um, so you can schedule a call. And next, we are going to have a special guest. Jana is back, and she's going to be talking about um, fasting, right? Because it's, fast, it's National Fasting Month right now because well, we are... My fasting is... <laughs> 
not this Wednesday, next week Wednesday, but only fast for one day. What, what is that for Lent? Yeah. Okay. Only fast for one day, but I'll be drinking my lemon and water in the morning before I go fasting. It's just warm, hot water with lemon in there. So Lent starts February 26th. That's right. when you're gonna. That's when you're one day fasting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I don't I don't really just fasting though. I don't I don't um I don't really fast when it come on to to, to food. So mm-hmm. you know like uh, because <coughs> excuse me. I think I reach a stage in my life where I'm very disciplined. So I use my discipline as my gauge of controlling my weight. Yeah. Yeah. And for for some people who've had um, who've suffered from eating disorders, you know, this is where this gets tricky. Because obviously, uh, if you have you have a unhealthy relationship with food, then it may be very difficult for you to regulate something like this. You know, mm-hmm. I have a tip for that one. I used to have unhealthy relationship with food. Hmm. But then you clean up that relationship and make it a little different by bringing, and I always say it, I said it many times on the podcast, if you bring the right stuff inside the house, you cannot go wrong with having the right stuff. Just don't bring in stuff like, you know, like you said, chips or soda or stuff like that, because that will, that will when people are unhappy, they, they'll just grab anything and eat. But if you don't have it inside there to eat, you're not going to eat it. This is why the environment is crucial. Environment, environment, environment. <laughs> so when you come into your home, you have to create that environment around you, though. You have to decorate it. You go to the supermarket, they say in the green grocery section, you buy all your decoration, you come home and you decorate your kitchen. That's your environment. You can't go wrong. Yeah. Unless you live by a loving neighbor who have the, the, the junk food that you run over and say, can I have some soda and somebody? Uh, but you can create your environment. Which, you know, I don't know about y'all, but I don't really live in that type of situation where, where I even trust to take food from my neighbor, to be honest. Well, I, I never did. Yeah. My, my neighbor is the super. Yeah, I wasn't raised like that. Like, I, I've seen shows where it's like they go over and ask for sugar that was like the good times or something back in the 70s. <laughs> well, you know, but my mom tell me that those things happen. Though. I do something a lot in Jamaica, but she always says, when you run out of things, it's time to go shopping. Yeah. Are you without it? If be self-sufficient. Of- For some people, it would be good if they run out of salt, sugar, and oil. And that I, I turned around and I realized there's no oil and Oil hasn't been purchased in our house for like months. Are you serious? Olive oil in particular. You don't use olive oil? No. Because I don't cook with oil. I don't cook with olive oil. I never cook with it. But I use it. I used to add it. I used to add it after the fact to like a a salad or to food to flavor it a little bit. But I made a decision to not do oil. And then, so I just stopped buying it. And it's like, do I really need this concentrated fat? If I want the taste, I should just buy olives. This is how I was looking at it, right? I should just buy the olives. But olives 
tastes too salty for me, you know? I couldn't, I couldn't do the olive unless I get fresh olives. And I don't Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I decided to, I just decided to stop. I love olive oil on my salad. I'm not going to lie to you. It has a nice flavor. It tastes completely different than olives. Oh yeah. At the the same time. At the same time, I feel like this is part of my journey just to get as clean as possible and separate myself from um, food addictions, I guess you could say. Things oh, that, that just from avocado? Huh? Yeah, I have avocados. There are nuts. Um, uh, what else? I have my flax seeds, you know, so I, I get... I get healthy fats, um, so I know I don't have a have an uh, issue with that. And this the oil I I don't see as the like I, I'm gonna tell you olive oil, extra virgin organic olive oil. I will never tell anybody it's bad, but I know for me personally, there's no necessity for this. It's not really food. It's still a processed food because there's no fiber. It's just concentrated fat. It's it's processed. Yeah, but and that, that you put on your your stuff. Um. Exactly, just like so. That's why I wouldn't because I use coconut nectar once in a while. That's something that lasts me months because I don't use it that frequently. But um, even the oil, it's like okay, I could spend twenty dollars. And I when I when I was buying the uh, olive oil. First of all, the the olive oil game is really stepped up. Like, I don't know about you, but when I go to the store, they have like 20, 50 different brands now. You have to be careful, you know, because something they say, and Dr. Oz was speaking about the olive oil, it's not, if you see where it bottle in, it it come from like three different places, not pure. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So I get the extra virgin olive oil. And on the bottle, the last brand I was buying, it would tell you the date the olives were picked and pressed to make the olives. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is serious. It's like buying a bottle of wine, like, you know. Um, but yeah, I just, I just, I just, I just don't think I need that additional fat. Um, and I, I don't need something lacking in fiber. It's just, it's just an additional flavor. And if I really need that additional flavor, that to me in itself is food addiction because it's like you're looking for flavor to eat for enjoyment as opposed to eating for nutritional value, right? Because that's really where we are right now in this world. And yeah. I'm, not gonna, I'm not necessarily going to demonize it because I enjoy food. I enjoy the experience of food but at the same time if we could have that enjoyment of the experience without any kind of manipulation to the whole food that to me is being free of food addiction to me yeah but can i say something yeah you say like all the bible says salt is the flavor salt is the flavor of the earth okay some people have to have a little salt because their food would be like blah. But some people don't know how to do a little salt. Okay, but you see, like with me now, and I'm only speaking of my personal stuff right now, like I don't buy salad dressing. I don't buy it at the store. Mm-hmm. So if I don't use a little olive oil and sprit my salad, I feel like I'm being deprived of 
the taste that I want because what it is with the salad dressing, when I sprinkle cayenne pepper, garlic powder, uh, turmeric, and all those stuff over it after I put the oil, mm-hmm. it, and I use my hands because it's my salad, and I, you know, that, yeah. how, you, how you call it? Massage you, it. Massage it. Honey, that thing tastes so good. Yeah, I bet. Because uh-huh. that's, the, that's the salt, the oil leads to dopamine production. <laughs> that's uh-huh. exactly what Dr. Alan Goldhammer is talking about. No, but the, the salt, I don't put salt in there, but I put, unless the turmeric and the, um, I don't put salt in my salad. Because what I don't like about when you put salt in salad, mm-hmm. it, it wilted. Mm. It's not pretty no more. And I like my salad to look attractive. I really don't like the salt in the salad. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't like it in the salad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. but um, And you know what, it else, what else too, I think? Because, you know, <coughs> sorry, I read a lot and I study a lot. And so sometimes different messages converge and I forget why I was doing a thing, right? But now I'm remembering <laughs> that um, I was getting pimples outside of my, um, I was getting pimples and it wasn't like, I know like when my menstruation is coming up to time, even though that really shouldn't happen, even though it's normal, cause your hormones are like going, you know, a little different. You'll get like, I know from, in my experience in my past, three pimples before my period. Right. And it would be at the same time. Other people like a sign, like they get it. People can know. Yeah. Right. So, but this, I remember experiencing pimples outside of that window and so you know I read uh the clear skin diet and in that book they were talking about eliminating fat completely don't even put oil on your face no oil in your body no oil on your face right so then I'm like well what do I do when my face gets dry you know so it's been a journey but from from then, I think was when I was like, okay, I'm gonna at least because I know I'm not gonna stop eating avocados. I'm not gonna stop eating nuts. There's just certain things because they were saying fats eliminate fats completely, and there's certain fats I know I'm just not gonna give up. But the oil, I'm like, I can give up oil, right? <laughs> um, so that's what I did, and so I think that's that's where. And my face has been really nice. I just, I find it very clear and glowing. And even when menstruation comes, I don't have those three pimple situations going on. And I just. You got to watch your body. Yes. Yeah. So it's been more of like an experimentation Mm -hmm. type of thing. Um, So yeah, so that's me personally. (laughs) Well, um, there's a lot of people who have to put oil on their skin especially older folks. And I'm quite sure you have some older folks listening and they're going, oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I've been using vitamin E oil, which a friend of mine, an herbalist friend of mine, pointed out the fact that vitamin E doesn't exist in nature. So it's not like there, there are whole food sources that, that don't have vitamin E. There is, but like, you know how you have olive oil, almond oil, coconut oil, these are oils from an actual whole food that was pressed to get this oil, right? But vitamin E is a vitamin. So how did they get oil from a vitamin? Okay. Right? <laughs> so what do you get from vitamin E? So maybe that's where the oil came from. What right. You- so it's a, it's a man-made thing. 
No, but what do you get from vitamin E? Like, let's say somebody say you need vitamin E, so go out and eat something that is vitamin E. What is the food? Oh, I mean, I could tell you, and you can just um, Google it. Um, vitamin E is in nuts, such as almonds, peanuts, hazelnuts, filberts. They're in sunflower seeds. Um, it's in spinach and broccoli. So they, there are uh, foods that have vitamin E, right? That's what I'm saying. Maybe that's why they make some of those oil from the vitamin E. But, made but you have to understand, you can't make oil from a vitamin. It doesn't make sense. You understand? This is like a compound. So when you have coconut, how do you make coconut oil? From a coconut. Right. You press it. No, but it's a vitamin E oil. Okay, so the oil is from vitamin E. It's from the vitamin that you get from the fruit or whatever. So how, where did the oil come from? So we could eliminate vitamin E oil and we just use almond oil on our skin. It does the same thing. Exactly. I'm, so I'm, so Some days I don't want to put the vitamin E oil. I put Because a nurse told me that I shouldn't use it on my skin. The vitamin E? No, she says so often because... The skin, it will make your skin too thin. Uh -huh. told, yes, it will make the skin very thin. So some days what I do, I put almond oil on my skin, on my face. So it's still fine, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to actually try the almond oil because what I've noticed with the vitamin E oil is that <clears throat> it will make me, it will give me a pimple. I won't get like a full breakout or anything. Luckily, I don't deal with that, but it will give me a pimple. And before that, coconut oil I used to use on my face and it would give me a pimple too. So when I read this book, The Clear Skin Diet, I could, I was, I was like, yeah, like this makes complete sense because when I put the oil on my face, I get pimples, but it's like my face is dry sometimes, particularly when I wash it with the water from, you know, and even if we have a filter on our water, but still it pulls the moisture out of my skin. And so I you need to that, replenish. You know, that's going to my head. I'm going to find out what they make the vitamin E oil from. It's just, it's just a man-made, it's just a man-made thing. You're, we're <laughs> using something we don't know what it is. That's crazy. I'm not buying any more. But they brand it as vitamin E oil. It has you thinking, oh, this is natural. Kind of similar to that video you shared on Facebook about the 365 organic at Whole Foods, but it's coming from China, so you can't really, there's no proof that it's organic. <laughs> and a lot of other stuff too. Yeah, but they're, they're lab it's labeled 365 organic. They have a a labeling from some organic certifier, but the organic certifier can't promise that it's organic because it comes from China. So it's like, well, why did you put your label on the packaging? <laughs> why, you yeah, know, you're misleading that, people. They say anything come from China cannot be organic. Well, there's, what we could say is that there's no way to prove it's organic because they don't follow the same standards. Well, if you come from China, it's not organic. <laughs> yeah. I don't need proof. All I need to know that it's from China, and I says non-organic. Welcome, Jana. Thank you so much for joining us on the Raw Food Health Empowerment Podcast. 
And thank you, Samantha, for having me here. I'm, it's such a pleasure and I'm honored. So, yeah. So you were just talking with your mom about um, food addiction. And uh, I want to kind of dive into this topic a bit more with you. And I think it is so, so important. Um, and not only from, from the perspective of um, food addiction, but just like addiction in general, because there is a pattern um, of how we, how we deal with things, how we, we put something in our life that uh, we, we allow it to have a place in our life that is controlling us rather than us controlling it. And uh, then things get out of hand and, and how we deal with food addiction is how we can deal with all addictions in a really similar manner. So this is a super amazing topic and I'm really excited to talk more about it because uh, I think it's, there is so much hope and there is so much uh, empowerment available if people just know it. Yeah. Yeah. So you yourself, did you have a food addiction? Yeah, I've had, I've had a lot of addictions. I, <laughs> I, uh, I used to get like really obsessed with guys and I, I had like codependency is like a type of addiction. Mm. Um, I, I was addicted to sugar hardcore hardcore and was like super convicted about it um in college and I'll talk more about that too and and I've also dealt with sexual addiction which I struggled with um addiction to masturbation for eight years um but praise god I've been totally free of it for Mm -hmm. two years and just like yeah god has led me on such a healing journey it's kind of like one step of obedience after another um, helped me to find freedom in, in these different areas. Um, and it's interesting how, like, I was struggling with a sexual addiction, um, which helped me to be aware of my sugar addiction. Mm. Because I was, like, I was convicted about the sexual addiction first, and I was trying to find help for that. And I had finally opened up to some friends and stuff about it, which there's there's so much power in like speaking about our problems because then we're like overcoming the the fear and the lie that like we're alone. No one, people are going to judge us and what, whatever lies are keeping us silent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was seeking, seeking help and being more open about it. But then I was also realizing that just like I needed uh, to cultivate uh, self-discipline in my life and and I recognized that I was my life things were controlling me um and it was more than just the sexual addiction and I recognized like the relationship with food and particularly sugar um because I when I was in college this was my my sophomore year of college I was just I was I was stressed and how I dealt with my stress was I had to have sugar mm-hmm. and it was every day. Like after class, I was just like eating sugar. If I, and sometimes I would like try to not have it in my room because I didn't want the temptation, but then I would end up like walking across the street to go to the gas station to buy like gummy worms. So like, what is wrong with me? This is a, this is seriously has control over me. Yeah. You know, man, it's, a, it's just like people go in to get 
cigarettes and stuff. It's it's very very similar. Yeah. Um, yeah, so but need, then I for addiction, like you need support. So, like, how did you? Right. How did you get that? Yeah. Well, one of, one of the things that I've realized is like everything flows together. So there's, it's not just like there's a a quick fix or like a one one stop solution to stuff. Um, it's a there's a holistic solution and. Like we need, we need community and we need support, but we also need like a lot of other things too, like, like spiritual well-being, which some of that comes from the community, but yeah. But really for me, um, like I, I sought out a counselor on campus, um, for sexual addiction and and then also talked about the sugar addiction as well. Um, and I would just was, I was just more open about it. Like in my Bible study groups, I was a part of and stuff, just like uh, talking about what I felt. That must have been about. scary. I would imagine. Yeah. I, I, I remember I was very emotional about it, especially like the first like when I wasn't used to opening up about it, I was very emotional whenever I talked about it because mm-hmm. I felt very vulnerable. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but with the, with the sugar addiction, I had this battle with God because I felt really convicted about it at one point, And I felt like this has control over me and we're, you know, we're called to not have it, let anything have a control over us like that and just only serve God and, and not, not anything else like that. And so, so I felt this conviction and I was, I was like kind of in a inner battle going on. And I was like, you know, if I, if I never eat sugar again, I probably have eaten so much sugar that I had more than enough sugar than I need for the rest of my life and not that you need it at all (laughs) to realize but um yeah that and I was like you know I feel like it would be easier to just give it up period than to try to have um to try to keep this in my life and have balance with it and (laughs) because it was just such an addiction and so I was like okay god like I feel like you're calling me to get rid of this in my life, but I feel like it's so, mm, it's so controlling of me that I don't, I don't think it's possible. I really, I don't think it's possible for me to give it up on my own power. And so, but I was like, but God, I believe, I believe in you that if this is your will, you're going to empower me to do your will. Mm -hmm. And so if you really want me to do this, you're going to have to be the one to make it happen. And uh, so then I just had it. I just surrendered. And I was like, okay, God, like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I know I can't do this, but I know that you can do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, so I just, I just surrendered that and yeah, gave up sweets in my sophomore year of college which was like so, um, 
I want to. Yeah. I want to slow this down a little bit because I find that really fascinating. So you had a sugar craving so strong that you didn't buy it. And yet in your dorm room or whatever, you literally left the dorm, crossed the street, went to to get because the craving was so strong. But then you gave it up to God, this thing and said, hey, God, if this is if if this is your will that I'm no longer addicted to sugar, then let your will be done, basically. You gave that that stress and everything to God. But then you walk into a store, you're having like at that point, you 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 have this interaction with God. Does the craving no longer come about? Is there a mental decision? I won't even look at sugar anymore. You know, like how take me. Yeah, that you you bring up a really good question. Like, what happens after the surrender and then you're back in the store and you're seeing these things, you know, yeah. because there, there was temptation for sure. It's not like the temptation went away immediately or the cravings went away immediately because um, I mean, you, I'm sure, you know, from like the health stuff with like our, our microbiome, uh, it takes time to change it. And so um, I like to say the wolf you feed is the wolf that grows. Mm-hmm. But if you starve a wolf long enough, it'll die. And so if we have these cravings inside of us saying, I need this, I need this. And if, if we don't feed it, then it'll die. And then we don't crave it anymore, really. And in and, and the temptations, they, I mean, they are still there sometimes. But you, once you stay on the path long enough, then it's like you can just remind yourself that like, you're totally fine without it because mm. you've been without it for a while. <laughs> yeah. Did you try any other tools to mitigate the craving? I mean, I let myself still have other snacks. I think for for a while I went to like salty things instead of mm. uh, sugar. Mm-hmm. Kind of switched over, but ultimately, uh, what I have uh, have come to experience and understand and learn about as a raw foodist is that we crave sugar because we are we're meant to have sugar but we're meant to have it in the form of fruit not not in the processed way mm-hmm. and honestly i think hmm, like we ha- we have this conception in our mind that like processed stuff is bad which it is but we have this conception that like the processed stuff is different from the cooked stuff mm-hmm. when really I think it's the same I think anything that is processed above that threshold where the enzymes die off mm-hmm. it's not it doesn't have that completeness that it's meant to have for us mm-hmm. um, and so we we're like so we get this little taste of like oh here's this food but it does oh but it doesn't have everything that i want right. because it's just, it's been killed off what the the whole thing has been killed off and so uh so then we are left still craving more <clears throat> does that make sense yeah and like cuz when we talked earlier we talked about um uh, the Pleasure Trap. I don't know if you've heard of that mm, book. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Alan Goldhammer. He basically says uh, salt and sugar are, you know, 
they're the foods that lead to the dopamine addiction that lead to food addiction because we're craving Mm -hmm. dopamine, right? That feel good hormone. And so with these additives, we are overeating essentially. And when you bring up the cooked food with the processed food and kind of putting that in the same boat, it has me thinking of like, these foods without these things don't really taste that great. But when you're looking at raw foods, especially fruits, you know, which like have all the things, they have the minerals, which we consume salt for. Usually when we have a salt craving, it's minerals that our body is really Mm. hungry for. And it has the natural sugar in it, you know, and some fruits have fat in it as well, like avocados, Mm -hmm. for example. So yeah, durian. So, um, you know, and these, these foods naturally with minerals and it's natural fats and natural sweetness, like we don't have addictions to those things, but if the cooked food needs to have these things and then we end up overeating and having addictions, then yes, is this something that ultimately is like our natural thing for us? Like, no, right? Because you, you're not really free if you need those things. Right. So I like that. I like that comparison. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's, <clears throat> it's wild, like what we have been kind of trained by our culture to think of about, uh, about a lot of things, but especially food. Mm-hmm. It's like the most basic, it's like one of the most basic like parts of life is like sustaining your life. Mm-hmm. And we have such weird, unnatural thoughts about it. If you really think about it. <laughs> yeah. And most of that has to do with the marketing. Mm-hmm. The, the reason why we even think about it so much is because money is involved. It's industry mm-hmm. now. It's not like your neighbor is growing food and everyone on the block is growing food and sharing food. It's right. the whole industry. So we are under the same kind of uh, consumerism with food as with anything else, which is driving addictions and things like that. I'm pretty sure our ancestors didn't have <laughs> food addictions, you know, this whole conversation would be like, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, it's quite interesting. So we're living in a very unnatural environment, getting yeah. more and more so with artificial intelligence and all of that. Yeah. And food is like a tricky thing, uh, especially as an addiction, because we need food to live. And so we need to be eating, but then we, we also need to have a balance with it. Mm -hmm. And, but if we're eating the right foods, then it will naturally get in balance with that. Yeah. Yeah. I still, I still, to be honest, struggle with emotional eating sometimes just because I'm like, it's like a comfort, I don't know, yeah. you know, it's just kind of like a pattern. But what's your um, go-to? Hmm. Well, I mean, just in general, like I'll just eat more than I need because of this like thought of like this scarcity mentality that I don't have, I don't mm-hmm. have enough or something, or I'm trying to meet some kind of a an emotional need in a physical way. But I would assume like when you get these, um, cravings or you go into emotional eating, your choices are different than most. Mm. So like what, for, for those yeah. times when you're emotionally eating, like, what are you, what are you going for? 
Yeah. Uh, Cause I know hmm. I could say for myself that when I'm wanting to feel comfort, uh, a banana smoothie with blueberries and almond butter, that's mm. like, <laughs> that is my thing to really settle mm. me. It's, it's basically like ice cream, yeah. but yeah. You know, in a form where it's really convenient for me to just, you know. Yeah. Sometimes I'll, I will do like oats and just like put water and I'll put like bananas or dates and uh, uh, agave and just like mix it up and let it soak and eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, but it, even just in general, like, even if I'm just eating, like, my normal, like, meals of, like, fruit or salad or whatever, I will sometimes just, like, eat more than I need just because I feel like... You want to feel I, full? Yeah, because yeah. I... It's, like, this totally irrational fear of I'm... I'm going to starve to death or something like, like I need this. Like, I don't know, <laughs> like that. I don't trust God to provide for my next meal, <laughs> but it's seriously. Yeah. I'm sure there are people out there who have that experience, especially depending on their backgrounds. Cause I know like when you say that, what comes to mind is money. And there's certain people with, um, like, we all have different relationships with money, right? But there's yeah. some people um, who grew money. up a certain. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> there's certain people who grew up a certain way that, you know, the way they 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 either hoard money mm-hmm. or they spend money all the time, so they never have any, and all of that is coming from some kind of past thing that happened that kind of shaped their whole relationship um around money yeah you know i i've really come to feel like deeply feel the truth of the the scripture that says the love of money is the root of all evil Mm. (laughs) and i know that like everything can be used for good right and like I see the I see how money has been used for good. However, I've also been researching the early church recently. Mm-hmm. In my whole like uh, stuff going on in my personal life and trying to convince people that like let's please have vegan food at our church events. <laughs> but um but yeah, so I've been researching the early church a lot and what I found is I found these communities that they, these early church communities were a community of good. They forsook money and, you know, normal currency, and they just, they grew their food. They lived in community. They shared with each other. There was no one in need among them. How beautiful is that? They Mm -hmm. would get together every day, um, not only to share in the sacraments of, the Eucharist and liturgy, but also they shared a vegan meal together every day. Mm. And ah, this is what we need. I think there's so much isolation, which fuels addiction. Like that feeling of like loneliness is a huge thing that fuels addiction. 
Um, and so you, you brought up like finding community for support and stuff. And like, this is the answer, like community. And I find even just in myself, like I'm more at peace when I'm like eating with other people. I feel like food, like uh, when we, when we take stuff out of how it's, it's God made it to be, mm-hmm. that's when we get into this mess up stuff, messed up way of being. And then there's consequences. And like food is meant to be this like thing that brings us together, mm-hmm. you know? And um, yeah, but instead we've just like, we just, we're so many of us are isolated and we just like, we go to food and it's like, well, no one is, I mean, I, I was addicted to, to sugar since I was in middle school, like, like middle school through halfway through college. It was like a real thing where I would like get home. I would get home like 30 minutes before anyone else when I was in the seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like how it worked when like my mom and my sisters got home. And um, I would like, raid the pantry and eat the little debbies and I was like no one can see me no one will know like you know there's just this this lie that we believe that like what we do um when we're by ourselves, like we're not hurting anyone and no one has to know and but God God promises that everything everything will come into the light right and so that it's a lie to believe that like uh, we believe so many lies. I mean, but. sugar, from what I've read, is like eight times more addictive than crack cocaine. So when I hear these stories about young people and like <laughs> how they're just like raiding pantries and just going crazy to find sugar, I'm not surprised. And yes. this, like, I feel like more and more people should be stating this and letting people know so that parents can start their children off without it because you don't have to raise your child eating, you know, sugar. Like, honestly, when I grew up, the way I grew up, my, I had a nanny and Mm. she was the source. She was my candy source. And Mm. I didn't, I didn't really have a sugar addiction because she, she brought it in on the weekends. She would, she would bring it in and, um, I would eat it, but, I don't know how I would go through it if I would finish all of it or whatever, but she was the only person like providing this thing on a weekly basis. But before her, no one else, cause there was no one else buying that. So I didn't really have like, like I could do with it or I could do without it. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't like, but I feel like the earlier you start these children, you know, on, on sugar where they just, they have to have, all the time they have to have this thing, then yeah. it, it makes it difficult to break that chain. Well, and even if we just look at like the cultural tradition of Halloween, which yeah. I think is evil for a lot of reasons. The worst. But, <laughs> but look at what it's doing. Yeah. It's saying, here's a bunch of sugar to give to these innocent kids mm-hmm. and get them addicted. And it's like, and our and our culture says that it's like, oh, you're a mean parent if you don't let your kid dress up and go trick or treating. Yeah. And you're it's a mean all- parent if you don't let your kid have birthday cake. Yeah. It's like, 
Yeah. And I remember uh, Jada Pinkett Smith talked about this on Red Table Talk. I don't know if you've ever seen her show on Facebook, but she was anti-sugar. So her children, they didn't have cake, at least in her house. (laughs) Right. Who knows what grandma's doing or whoever they go to, but they couldn't have the cake. They couldn't have the candies. So she was pretty strict about those things. But I think like with the parents just arming themselves with the information and educating their children too. So like if they're a little older, like old enough to talk back, but why my friends, you know, she gets Mm -hmm. to do it. He gets to do it. Then like, well, yeah, well, their teeth are probably going to rotten. They're going to be like, you know, this is what the studies say. You can educate your children. I think especially today's youth, they're so much smarter earlier than even my generation. So they can handle the truth about nutrition education. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we undervalue people or, or like have limiting beliefs on behalf of ourselves and other people. And if we can come to a, a belief that like we are made for more than this and change is possible and we have a choice in the matter we don't have to just eat what the world is feeding us Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh that's how we can find the freedom or be a pawn in their industry you talked about uh money is the root of all evil like i personally don't believe money is the root of all evil however when you talk when you bring into this thing with with sugar and how dangerous it is really for people their health and just these addictive the addictive nature of it um and look at halloween you know and all these different things this is all industry this is all consumerism using the people turning the people into pawns to feed money into the system that it actually hurts themselves and their families and their community you know well and and it's not that money itself is the root of all evil because money itself is actually totally worthless. It's just mm-hmm. like pieces of paper. Um, <clears throat> but it's the love of money is the root of all evil because everything, it comes down to our heart and like there cannot be a good or evil, like except for our heart. Right. And so <clears throat> it is, it's what's in our heart that causes something to be, you know, good for us or not. Or bad, and, yeah. Yeah, and it's the same is true with eating meat. Like, you know, putting a, a, a piece of meat in your mouth, chewing it, whatever, eating it, is not inherently, like, directly immoral, and I know this is this is a touchy subject with people, and and you usually just talk about like the health aspect. But I've personally have really become convicted that this is a moral thing. Everything comes down to it's about our hearts, and so it's not that uh, eating one thing or another is directly good or bad. It's it's our heart. And so money itself is not good or bad. An apple is not good or bad. Um, an animal is not good or bad. It's the, those of us who think that uh, it is immoral to eat meat is not because eating meat is good or bad. 
it is because of the in the action that is required to get the meat. Okay. And so, and then that like affects our heart. <clears throat> so essentially you're saying because we're killing animals, it affects our heart. I'm saying and death, like causing an unnecessary death requires a hardness of heart. Mm. And to have a, the greatest level of compassion would be to, to choose plants instead of unnecessarily causing the death. Mm. And it, it's because of uh, that openness in our heart, that softness of our heart, of having compassion for the creatures that is that causes the the plant-based way of life to be the more ethical approach. Yeah. Got it. Because of because of our hearts. Yeah, because in order to kill someone, whether it's a human or an animal, you have to harden your heart towards them and and not see them or you not not see the the divine aspect in them, not not see God's love for them. We harden our hearts. Mm -hmm. And we want to have soft hearts. And so we can remind people that we have a choice in the matter and there's freedom available. There's like with, with all addiction, whether it's addiction to animal products or addiction to sugar or addiction to sex or whatever it is, we have a choice. And there is freedom available. And there is a, a way of being that uh, is, is how we are designed to be. And, it, and God wants what's best for us, so he designed what's best for us. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk about fasting as well, because I think uh, fasting is a very helpful uh, thing to do to overcome addiction. And, uh, and fasting can come in various forms. So like you can commit to like a period of time that you're not going to eat animal products or that you're going to do something to like help to, uh, to overcome something that you've been struggling with or, uh, to help try to cultivate a different way of eating that you desire. And, um, so that's why I think the church, uh, at least uh, the Catholic, uh, the Catholic Church, gives us this season of Lent mm-hmm. of like preparing our hearts for the Paschal mystery of Jesus. Yeah, all Christians, I believe, are celebrating Lent. Um, yeah, I think it's more prominent in in some denominations than others. Than others, it yeah, it wasn't really very common at the Baptist school I went to for my undergrad, but Mm. yeah, but I mean, anyone can do it though. And I I think it, it is, uh, it's, it's helpful to have these different seasons in our life and like, uh, prepare our hearts for different things and, and have times of like intentionally challenging ourselves to, to live, um, in a way that we're called to live. And, um, that's why historically, uh, throughout Lent, 
um, Lent has been a time of giving up animal products and also people give up things like sugar and soda and caffeine and different things. It, it's a, and you, you're recommended to like discern, you know, like, is there something in my life that is, has, that's having control over me and maybe I can surrender that to the Lord and commit to this season at least, you know, it's just, it's just 40 days, you know, like Jesus was in the wilderness without any food or water for 40 days. I think we can, you know, give up sugar for that long <laughs> with the, with God's help. Um, but yeah, so I think it is really beneficial to have times of like fasting, whether it's like, whether, whether it's like a three day walk fast or, um, or if you're fasting from like social media, oh my goodness, I, I'm going to be fasting from social media for Lent. <laughs> I'm so excited because I've been feeling called to do this for a while. Cause it's, uh. Thank you so much for listening today. Please be sure to subscribe so you're notified on all our future episodes when they're released.